everybody. I'm Alex Garrett, and uh, welcome inside to another edition of Keep It Real. And my guest today is George Faraj. George, you are a immigrant and non-immigrant uh, visa operations uh, expert, and uh, you're an author and all that other stuff. But first of all, our New York base may have heard of you because you just had a piece published in the Daily News. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. I'm really excited about it. Thank you. So tell me what you wrote and tell me uh, why it was important for the Daily News to pick it up. Well, there's a really important uh, issue coming up in the month of June, uh, and that's that the Supreme, the Supreme Court is going to be issuing their ruling on DACA. And DACA, you know, for, for, for the benefit of your audience, uh, is the program that was instituted by President Obama in 2012. And what it does is it protects kids that came to the U.S. illegally, but I mean, they were little kids and they just, they grew up in the U.S. They don't know any other country except the U.S. So the Supreme Court is going to uh, basically rule if the Trump administration's attempt to, 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 to just basically turn it off is legal or not. So what I wanted to do was to chime in on the issue, but in a different way. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about DACA, but what I wanted to do was kind of to give it a, a, my own twist on the perspective. And the way, what I'm, what I'm arguing is that today we are facing, we are at war with COVID-19. And it's a war that we're seeing in the city. Um, the president has, has called himself a wartime president and has, you know, he has said hey, Alex, that we are I'm war. actually doing a bit of a different video for Sunday. Oops, sorry about that. That's okay. Um, so what I'm saying is that in, in, in the past, the United States government has issued what we call special immigrant visas to foreigners who help the United States at times of conflict. We've done this with Iraqis who've served on the front lines in the, in the war with Iraq. Uh, we, we did this with Afghanis who've served on the front lines with American soldiers and diplomats on the front lines in Afghanistan. Uh, so what I'm saying now is we have DACA healthcare professionals who are serving on the front lines of COVID-19 and the hospitals uh, and the clinics and, and various facets of our society. They deserve special immigrant visas, just like we stood by Iraqis and Afghanis. We need to stand by with the, um, with the dreamers today. This is the gist of the argument that I made that the Daily News picked up. Now that I just read, I'm reading this, the piece now, one of an estimated 9,200 dreamers. So obviously we want to talk about what's trending. Why wasn't that trending? I mean, this country loves its immigrants and yet they kind of forgot yeah. that DACA are on the front lines too. Yeah, I mean, people are talking about DACA, DACA recipients and dreamers being on the front lines. But what the argument is, is that, okay, dreamers are on the front lines. We need to uh, advance or to keep right. the program going, which is, which, is, which is a fine argument. I'm not arguing against, against my that. My question is, how come they covering it? Like, why aren't they even really covering it? It seems like you're the only one writing on this right now. Yeah, um, I find that to be problematic, and it's it's unfortunate because it's so important. I mean, I put myself in the in 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 the position of these kids. I mean, they came when they were kids. I came to the United States when I was a kid, so I imagine myself somebody coming and telling me when I'm you know my twenties, thirties, forties. Okay, you got to go. It's it's tough. It's tough, and it's an issue that we need to f to figure out as Americans. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find a middle ground. I'm not saying okay, we are going to give green cards to all. 700,000 uh, DACA recipients, because I don't think that's realistic at this point with the, with the conversation, conversation that's going on. At the same time, you know, I'm not saying that it's an issue that needs to be forgotten. I'm not saying that this is something that needs to be illegalized. I'm trying to find a middle ground, and I think this is it. 
For folks who have served on the front lines of COVID-19, it's important to recognize their sacrifice and to just give them special immigrant visa green cards. And the special immigrant visa is something that most Americans don't know about. You know, we, we know about family-based immigration. We know about employment-based immigration. We even know about the diversity visa, uh, which is called the lottery. But in terms of special immigrant visas, it's something we don't know about. It flies under the radar. And I think this is where we can take advantage. And, and the hope is, you know, people on both sides of the aisle can see the sense in this and right. say, okay, it makes sense. Let's do that. George, we have a bigger issue too. Not only our DACA, we don't even have support for hazard pay. I mean, this is a big issue and loop the oh, DACA yeah. in there. It's just a huge issue here. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that when this is uh, all said and done, there needs to be serious recognition for our healthcare professionals, our doctors, our nurses, our, our nurses uh, and, and the folks who are on the front lines of our society every day, the teachers, the police officers, the, fire, uh, the firefighters, all these folks are, who are really you know, unsung heroes, this emergency has demonstrated that these are the folks, when push comes to shove, these are the folks that are on the front lines. Mm -hmm. you know, to be very honest with you, I am a former United States diplomat. I'm sitting here in my house talking to you. They are outside doing their jobs in order to make sure that the, supply, the, the food supply chains are working, to make sure that the transportation industry is working, to make sure that, um, that, you know, the, the, that the police force is working. And most importantly, that when somebody goes to the hospital, there are people there to take care of them. Well, and George Farage, by the way, is the author of Pro-American Immigration, Common Ground in Our Immigration Strategy. George, you and I see eye to eye on this. We can't kick everybody out. And there are, the, both sides are so extreme on this. I'm glad I finally found someone who's on the middle ground. I'm <laughs> very happy. So, cool. COVID, and I haven't, I've asked some people, but before COVID, what was your fight? Uh, what were you fighting before this whole pandemic hit? Yeah, well, my... My immigration fight, and let me just tell you, I come from it as from an angle of being both an immigrant and a diplomat. So I immigrated to the United States with my family. Uh, and at the same time, I processed thousands of visa applications and, and decided who can and cannot come to America. So I know the process from both sides. Uh, and that's where, I, that's where I attack it from. Was it tough? And what my fight was, sorry, go ahead. Was it tough for you to do the processing to tell people, hey, you may not qualify to be in America? Oh, it's, it's always hard to say no, particularly when you know that this person's literally hope and dreams is, is resting upon your decision. I mean, it's not an exaggeration. It could be somebody might dream of coming to the United States to, to go to Disneyland, to pursue their education, to see a friend, whatever the case might be, and of course to immigrate. And when you have to say no, it's tough. But as a, as a consular officer, as a diplomat, you, are, you swear, you take an oath uh, to uphold the Constitution and all our laws, including immigration laws. So, you know, I had to make decisions based on immigration laws. So if it was a no, it was a no. It was a decent no, as, 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 as much as I could be decent telling somebody no, but it was a no. So it was tough. I'm sorry, Andrew, but, about the, what you were doing before COVID. So tell us about no it. No problem. No problem. So what I was, uh, what my fight was, what I was, uh, what I was telling you is that in the book, um, I became really frustrated with the divisive, very polarized conversation that's going on in the United States with regards to immigration. And I get it. Um, you know, being on one extreme to the other extreme, it's sexy, it sells, it's where the news is. I understand that. But I felt like, you know, it's just the extreme voices. And I was just, you know, 
telling my wife, I'm so frustrated. Why, why, why aren't, you know, people talking about common ground? Why aren't reasonable voices being heard? And I said, you know what, instead of complaining about it, it's time to do something about it. So I wrote the book. And what I do is in the book, uh, Pro-American Immigration, is I, I, I look at three things. My goal is to, to provide my readers with three things. First, I want my readers to understand how people come to the United States legally. So while all the talk, or most of the talk, is about illegal immigration, I want people to know how do people come legally. And I use my story, I use various members of my extended family to, to demonstrate how folks come legally. So that's number one. Number two are, is what are the gaps in our legal immigration process because it's not perfect. And I want to demonstrate these gaps in order for us to take the next step, which is item number three, is to recommend reasonable changes that we can make to our legal immigration rules in order to implement our immigration laws. So I can give you an example of what I'm talking about. Sure. Uh, let's talk about birthright citizenship, okay, and, or birthright tourism. So birthright tourism was a hot topic in the beginning of this year, the administration put out a rule saying that if you can, and just let me step back, birthright citizenship is when you come to the United States, if you're born in the United States and you fall under the jurisdiction of American law, you are automatically an American citizen. So that's the definition of birthright citizenship. What birthright tourism is, is that somebody in a foreign country will go to an embassy, get a tourist visa, and then come to the United States, give birth, in order to take advantage of birthright citizenship, their kid is now an American citizen and they leave the United States without much of an allegiance to the United States, but they'll leave and, and they'll go about their lives, but their kid is now an American citizen. I don't think that's right. Sure. I, I think that is a manipulation of the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment was of our constitution was created back in, in, the, uh, in the 1800s, in the late 1800s, and it was to protect the citizenship of slaves and their children. That was the intention of it. So for now, for folks to come and take advantage of this, I, I don't agree with it. Right. But at the same time, I understand that there are folks that do want the 14th Amendment um, and they do want for birthright uh, citizenship to continue. So there's a, there's a discussion there or an argument. People want it, people don't. So what my argument is, is we need to find a path in the middle. And where that path is, is if you take the decision to give birth in the United States, then both parents of the child should no longer qualify for tourist visas in the, in, in the future. Now, that might sound like common sense to folks, but it's, it's actually not the case right now. There are plenty of people, in the book I give some examples, who give birth in the U.S., they take advantage of birthright mm. citizenship, uh, they'll go back to their countries and they'll get more tourist visas, which doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is, if you take the step of giving birth in the U.S., you should not qualify for further tourist visas. And I have a legal basis for this. It's not just you know coming up with this out of nowhere. Sure. And the legal basis is that there is a law uh, in the Immigration Code, uh, 214B it's called. And uh, what that basically says is for you to qualify for a tourist visa, you need to have very strong ties to a country outside the US. So usually it's your country of, of origin. Mm. However, if you give birth in the US, in essence, what you've done is you've created a child. Your child is now an American citizen. You've created a really strong tie mm -hmm. to the United States. And I would actually argue you've created your strongest tie, your child, yes. who's now an American citizen. 
So by creating strong ties to America, you don't qualify anymore for tourist visas. So what we've done, if, if we were to implement something like that, what we've done is uh, we, haven't done a, we haven't done away with uh, birthright citizenship. Uh, but at the same time, we've made folks think twice uh, before they try and take advantage of the 14th Amendment. And that's what I'm doing with five uh, points. So birthright citizenship is one of them. I talk about four others. And again, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find common ground, reasonable uh, solutions to very complicated arguments that we're having with regards to immigration. George, I got to say, one of the gripes we had with the, you know, with the country of China was, unfortunately, some of their people were so oppressed because of the one-child population, they would actually end up coming to Queens and other places to have a child here. Yeah. And I was kind of wary of that. Was I wrong to be wary of that kind of birthing hotel, I think is what they call it? Yeah, yeah. No, you're not wary. And it's, um, it's something that uh, the Chinese have actually brought a lot of attention to this issue because there was a huge population of folks coming to New York, to the New York area, and also to California. And as you correctly mentioned, uh, birth, uh, was it, uh, birthing hotels, yeah. uh, as you mentioned, and it's, it's an industry, it's a huge industry. And this brought a lot of light and there were you know, many people arrested uh, for having doing it because it's, it's illegal to facilitate somebody's visa on uh, incorrect terms. So, for example, if somebody's facilitating a visa application saying that, you know, oh, I'm going to do this, but your true intention is to give birth, then you've lied to a federal official, um, which is obviously illegal. So there was a lot of, um, uh, a lot of discussion about this, and this is what I think prompted uh, the action on part of the administration, prompted my, my, my action or my discussion in the book. I'm glad you mentioned about lying about citizenship because... The administration also came down on that. They said, if you were known to have lied, we're going to rip away your citizenship. And I, mm -hmm. at the time, mm -hmm. I still kind of am in favor of that because why should we grant oh, someone yeah. they lied to begin with? No, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of common sense that's being thrown out there and, uh, and, and, and people are, and there's still a lot of argument over it. But, you know, if you are lying on your naturalization application, uh, or if you lied when you came to the U.S., I'll give you an example. If you say you did not commit a crime in your, uh, in your country of origin, just say, I, I never committed a crime, and you're later found out to have served you know, in prison, or you, com you did commit a crime, you lied on a federal application. If I lie on a federal, federal application for, for a job, I'm not going to get that job. You might even go to jail. I so think. it makes sense. Of course. If, so it makes sense that if you lie on a federal application, for your naturalized citizenship, you shouldn't get that citizenship. I mean, I, again, I am an immigrant. I, I, I live in Jersey City, um, across the river from you. Um, a huge immigrant community there. Most of my family immigrated. So, you know, I'm very much in touch with the immigrant community and the needs of, uh, of immigrants. And I can tell you, I don't know any immigrant that supports uh, the, the idea of somebody lying on their applications and continuing to get their, their citizenship, or even to have committed crimes in the United States and continue to be able to, uh, to pursue their citizenship. George, this has kind of been under the radar with COVID, but I'm sure there are still people trying to come over. And so on both sides of the aisle here, how do we say, yes, we'd love you to come in, but you have to do it legally, even during this pandemic. And even that, I mean, we had people 
not come in because we shut down all travel, which was the right call. I mean, people were right. upset that Trump called right. all the travel. But I want to go back to something where you said, yeah, I may not be able to process everyone and accept everyone. But should we discourage them from trying again to try and come in to make a better life here? Alex, the, the American dream is stronger than you and stronger than me. I can promise you that. Folks have, rightly so, a strong desire to pursue their American dream. So if uh, they do not qualify at one point, doesn't mean they won't qualify in the future. Doesn't mean they shouldn't try again. Uh, what it means is that at that moment, they didn't qualify and they can certainly try again, uh, albeit the, the legal way. And let me come to a point that you mentioned with regards to the immigration ban and what's going on now with COVID-19. The immigration ban uh, is not a full immigration ban. Okay. It really, when I, when I did the research, it touches on about 35% of immigrants, uh, of potential immigrants, when I looked at 2019 numbers. So if you already have a green card, you're fine. If you are the spouse of an American citizen, this is, you're not going to be affected, at least not at this point, uh, in several other categories. Uh, who, the folks who will be affected are the ones who are trying to, that want to come immigrate uh, for jobs. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of understand, you know, the immigration situation, excuse me, the unemployment situation in the United States today is, as the New York Times called it, eye-watering. I mean, mm -hmm. it is bringing people to tears. And to be honest, it's bringing me to tears when I hear that really? 30 million Americans 35 million Americans are, are, are unemployed. It's tough to hear that. Mm -hmm. So you can understand why people would say, okay, let's put a, put a, put a halt on this for, for, for a second. Let's catch our breath with what's going on and then examine it later. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem out of the realm of, of reality for me. George, before this whole thing started, Cuomo and Trump were really in a fight about ICE records and ICE detainees and we should let them go. Yeah. What's your thought on all that? I mean, that was really one of the big things heading into this crisis that was on the front pages of the Times and the Post and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. you're talking about sanctuary cities. Yes. So, yes. yeah, New York City is a sanctuary city. Uh, Jersey City, again, where I'm from, is a sanctuary city. Um, and for the benefit of the audience, just to put a definition on this, a sanctuary city is, um, is a city who, that does not necessarily cooperate um, very much with federal law enforcement, with ICE. So if somebody has been arrested uh, for a traffic violation, for, um, for a crime, they will not, or they don't feel they're under the obligation to communicate with ICE and to hold that person for ICE to come and process them. Uh, it's a problem. It's a problem. And we've seen it in the city. There was the example of this, uh, of a 92-year-old woman who yeah. was raped and then murdered by, by an illegal immigrant who was arrested and let go. Um, and once again, I, I come from a sanctuary city. Uh, I understand the plight of immigrants, but a criminal is a criminal. Yes. And if you have committed a crime while living illegally in the United States, there must be ramifications for that. Mm -hmm. George and, might be slammed by de Blasio if he hears this podcast, by the way. I, I, I know, I know. And, you know, I am... I understand that the issues are so divisive mm -hmm. and I can only state my truth based again on my experience as an immigrant to the United States. And, you know, Alex, let me also tell you, this is very personal for me, not the fact that I just immigrated, but um, when, when we came to the United States, we had a really rough time. 
uh, to be frank with you. This is, me asking. Where did sorry? you come from? From Egypt. Okay. So we came from Egypt um, to the U.S. And, uh, you know, without going into too much detail, but just a little personal story for you. Uh, my father left us when I was a kid. So, you know, my mom, my brother, myself, you know, new to the country, uh, we're in a strange place. And my father just took off and left, basically left us for dead. Who came to our rescue was not, God bless my family or, 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 or anyone else. The folks who came to our rescue were the American people. So they came to our rescue through, the, uh, through social programs, uh, uh, different welfare programs, uh, the public school system. And for that, I am deeply uh, indebted to the American people, the American people, excuse me, and the American government. So this is why I feel strongly about these issues. And this is why I speak my truth. While I might uh, you know, anger uh, Mayor de Blasio or others, uh, I still think it's the right thing to do. If, 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 if you came to the United States and you committed a crime, you're living illegal and you committed a crime, the folks in New York City, the folks in Jersey City, law enforcement in these two cities should be cooperating with federal law enforcement. It is what I think. It's what I believe. George, I think the reason why people reject what the president says is because he wasn't from, you know, he wasn't immigrating. He was here. He lived here. But when we hear from an, a citizen, from an immigrant like yourself, isn't that a different take? I hope so. And this is why I'm, this is why I, I, I wrote the book. This is why I'm, I'm happy to speak to people like you. I'm very happy to speak with people also that disagree with me. I'm happy to have a debate. Um, and I want to get that message out because I'm hoping that my background as both an immigrant and as a U.S. diplomat who served the country, I, I served in, in war zones, so I, I, I feel this need to serve the United States. I'm hoping that that message will resonate among some of the audience. And just to, to mention, you mentioned the president. I also think that the president's you know, his message, is, it's hard to, 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 to listen to or hard for it to resonate also because of the rhetoric during the campaign. You know, so what he said about uh, Mexicans, what he said about Muslims, what he said about immigrants really turned a lot of people off. And I get it. <laughs> I definitely get that. But what I'm doing is I'm really trying to distinguish between the rhetoric of Trump, the candidate, and the policies of Trump, the president. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm trying to distinguish between those two things. And I think you're doing a damn good job of it, if I do say so myself. So Thanks, thanks, Alex. That's kind of you. The Daily News, you know, they have a very liberal stance. So have you been picked up also by the conservative outlets as well? I have been trying. Um, you know, I've been, I've been trying to get my message out to both, to both uh, conservatives and, uh, and, and liberals. And I'm happy to talk to whoever will, you know, engage me in, in, a, in a discussion. I'm looking, I'm not looking to, to speak to, uh, to, 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 to preach to the choir. I'm looking to have debates, discussions, to, um, to, to, to engage with folks. And again, to, to try my best to use my experience to educate, if you will, um, about immigration policy. Uh, what makes sense, what doesn't, what we can change. And, you know, I don't want people to, to hear about, you know, oh, he wrote, he wrote a book on immigration. Um, when I wrote this book, um, and although I talk about immigration law, I did my absolute best to talk about it in, you know, real layman terms. 
just so that you know your average folk can 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 understand it. Because I personally mm-hmm. would rather have a root canal, and I use that analogy all the time. I'd rather have a root canal than read about immigration law. It's 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 tough. It's boring. It's dry. So what I try to do is I try to bring it to life in the book, and I I actually have the readers serve as a consular officer in various sections of the book. So basically, I tell you what the policy is, I tell you what the actuality is, and now you're the officer. I give you a scenario. A person comes to the embassy, you're sitting behind the bulletproof glass, mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're the officer, here's a scenario, now you make a decision, and I put you in a position where you see, okay, this is what the law states, but this is what common sense is telling me, what do I do? Mm. And that's well, kind of how I'm trying to get people to understand things. A couple of things, uh, and, I, and I love what you're doing because I think it is important to be the shoes. But um, here in, uh, on the other side, I mean, have you ever had to do legal representation for an, you know, an immigrant trying to be naturalized, but maybe because of someone's bias, they're rejected? I have not because I'm not serving at this moment. I'm not serving as an immigration lawyer. Okay. Um, I'm doing other things with my writing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, there's plenty of great lawyers out there that are doing their job very well. But, you know, I, I think that in terms of our law, mm-hmm. our country is fair. And there are a million people who, you know, who come to the United States, over a million people who come to the United States every year. Um, right. And many of them are naturalized. They become American citizens uh, every year. And they're I so proud of listeners. They are so proud Absolutely. of Absolutely. As well they should. As well they should. I mean, I... Immigrating to America did not change my life. Immigrating to America saved my life. And I say that very proudly. So people should be excited about becoming Americans. Absolutely. And Americans are excited to welcome to the country. They're they're welcomed with open arms to the country. I think where, where where the dichotomy is, is that Americans, many Americans, not all, but many Americans are against illegal immigration. Right. Not legal immigration. Illegal. And we need to put that in perspective. Well, and George, I mean, this is so helpful because I, I don't think we've had this kind of conversation in our in our media. So just so we know, and it's on the record with you, is President Trump doing the constitutional thing right when it comes to immigration? The president's first responsibility is to protect the American people at home, and abroad. Yes. That is, that's the first um, uh, task in their job description. Everything else is secondary. And the president has to do so in what they feel is the, uh, the best way possible, to use all the tools at their disposal. So it could be you know, trade policy, it could be security policy, and of course, immigration policy. Mm-hmm. If we look at some of the policies that were implemented this year in 2020, uh, let's answer the question that way. In January 2020, they started to address the birthright tourism issue, which I mentioned. I don't think they went far enough. Uh, They said that if somebody comes to the embassy and says, I want to give birth in the U.S., uh, they should not qualify for a visa. The the chances that somebody will come to the embassy and say, I want to give birth in the U.S. are very, very, very small. I mean, out of all the thousands of visas that I processed, I had one that actually did that. So Although they brought light to the issue, I don't think they, they pushed the policy as far as it needs to go. Sure. But nonetheless, uh, they addressed it. In terms of the travel ban, that was also huge in the news. 
Yep. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of folks who believe that the travel ban is a racist ban. It's just based on you know, racism and, and trying to keep America whiter, uh, all this. I, I personally disagree. I think that the travel ban was used as a diplomatic tool to further foreign policy objectives. And, you know, I'll just give you a couple of examples as to why I'm, I'm saying this. Uh, in Syria, uh, the country has been ravaged by civil war. There is no way for the United States and Syria to have a real exchange of security information. So you honestly don't know um, who's who uh, in Syria. So it makes sense that there would be a full travel ban in Syria. In Iran, we have a very rocky, to say the least, relationship with Iran for the past four decades. But the administration has always said that they want a, a new uh, nuclear deal with Iran. So I don't think it's a coincidence that the travel ban with Iran opens the door. It leaves the door open for students to get visas. So it's not a full travel ban. Students can still get visas to come to the United States. Uh, Nigeria, my, my final example, is, you know, it's not, a, again, it's not a full travel ban in Nigeria. Nigeria is, uh, is an ally, a major trade partner in Africa. But uh, Nigeria also have a problem, they have a problem with Boko Haram. And you'll recall Boko Haram is a terrorist group that kidnapped 300 schoolgirls. So for you to say, okay, we're putting a travel ban on you uh, as an incentive to pursue this issue. Now, I'm not speaking for the administration. This is my analysis. Sure. But I believe the travel ban to just focus on immigrant uh, visas, not all visas, is, is telling Nigeria, Nigeria's government, that you need to do more on Boko Haram because the, the number of immigrant visas that are issued in Nigeria is just about between five and 8% of the total. So in essence, you're, by, you're, you're barring five to 8% of applicants, not by any stretch, 100%. So I think that the president is, and, you know, and his advisors, they're doing what they think is right uh, to protect the American people. There are many things I disagree with, sure. uh, to be clear. But I think, generally speaking, they're doing what they think is right to the American people. A, a large segment of the American people might disagree, which is fine. And that's why that's the beauty of living in the United States. It's the beauty of having a political discussion. It's the beauty of a democracy and being able to go vote and, and make your, your voice heard. But I do think that they're doing what they can to, to protect the American people. You mentioned the rhetoric earlier on, and do you think that truly was the reason why we're seeing decreased immigration because of the rhetoric, or is there more to it? Do you know that in the first three years of the Trump administration, we've had more immigrants, the average number of immigrants to America has been higher than the Obama administration, Bush administration, Clinton administration? So we've actually had more immigration in the first three years of the Trump administration than, um, uh, than the three, pre three previous administrations. Uh, so obviously that number is going to take a nosedive this year because of what's going on um, with the travel and all this, uh, all this kind of stuff. But I, I don't think the numbers have, it's not that I don't think, the data shows the, the number of immigrants who are coming to America has not plummeted um, as is being reported. And at by least the way, not at this point. He's not even deporting as much as Obama did back then, and that's no. also being underreported. Right, right. So 
and, and on the travel ban, you know, people were like, oh, this is racist. He just actually rip and read what the Obama administration did and put it in his own ban. Like the countries that he did were Obama's countries that he laid a ban on. Yeah, you know, what, what President Obama did at the time, uh, and this is interesting, when there were, you may recall there were the attacks in Paris. Yes. And um, we saw those horrible images of, of French, of Parisians hanging off of balconies while the, uh, the inside of the Bataclan was being, uh, was being shot up. Just, just horrendous images. What the Obama administration realized at that point is that the perpetrators uh, were primarily French citizens. And what, why did that scare um, the Obama administration is because we have something called the uh, ESTA, which is a, um, a program for, inter for, for visa waiver countries. So not all countries in the world require visas or not, not all citizens of all countries in the world require visas to come to America. Many European countries, among them France, don't require visas. What they do is they go online, they fill out an online application. It's uh, pretty easy. Uh, they pay a small fee and they do an ESTA, uh, electronic system for travel authorization. Uh, and then they just come to the US and they can stay for uh, up to 90 days, right? So what that meant was that these perpetrators theoretically can use their French passports to come to the United States uh, on the ESTA without going to an embassy, without seeing a consular officer, without being interviewed, uh, without going through the, you know, the entire process of, 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 of getting a visa. So to combat that, what the administration, what the Obama administration said was, if you come from certain countries, if you either have been there in the past five years or you are, uh, you're born there or you're a national of these countries, even though you have a French passport, you need to go to the embassy for an interview in order to get a visa to come to the United States. And the purpose there was, if you're a French, but you've been to Syria, for example, when, when ISIS had a stronghold there, mm -hmm. you're going to need to go to the embassy. You're going to have to go through the interview process, the security clearance process, in order to get a visa to come to America. Completely logical. Very logical. And, you know, I was completely supportive of this because... You know, again, we saw the images in Paris. We don't want that happening here because somebody can just use the ESTA program instead of going to the embassy. So, so what the Trump administration did was take it a step further. Okay. So they said, at this point, uh, it's not a matter of, you know, if you come, if, if you're from these countries, you have to go to the embassy. For the time being, if you're from these countries, uh, there's going to be certain groups that are banned from coming to the U.S. Again, not everybody in all countries, but certain groups will be banned from coming to the U.S. George, I might have to make this a two-part piece because this is such an intriguing conversation. And there's so much more I want to know. I mean, the overstays, the visa overstays are still an issue, and I'm sure you're covering that as well. Yeah. Yeah, the visa overstays is definitely an issue. Um, and what that is, again, for the benefit of your audience, that's when somebody goes to the embassy, gets a tourist visa, uh, they then come to the U.S., so let's say that visa allows them to stay for uh, three months. At the port of entry, the officer at the airport says, okay, you can stay for three months. And what they do is they just stay. Um, a year, two years, they just don't leave the United States. It's a problem. And it's one of the major ways uh, that we're having, um, that folks are, are being in the country illegally. Mm -hmm. uh, it's on the radar 
uh, of the administration based on things that I've read. Again, I don't speak for the administration, but based on th things that I've read, it's on the radar, uh, but it is a tough nut to crack because it goes into, you know, how do you track folks um, while they're in the US? Um, uh, privacy issues, tracking issues, communication issues. So it is definitely a problem that needs to be looked at, um, but it is a tough nut to crack. You know, you also, I don't know if you realize this, you kind of inadvertently dispelled the whole open borders theory by saying the Obama administration actually locked down on certain things. So when you hear that, does that drive you crazy? Oh, look, I mean, open borders, um, I, for the record, I don't believe in open borders. No one. Um, uh, and I think that any nation has an obligation to its people to protect its borders. So what I do believe in are what I call three C's of immigration. The first C is controlled borders. Okay. So we need to know who is coming in and leaving the United States. So you need controlled borders. The second C is a compassionate immigration policy that takes into account the needs of the American people. Mm. And the American people are extremely generous. As I said, I benefited from this generosity. My family benefited from this generosity. And over a million people benefit from the fact that Americans welcome uh, foreigners into the country um, uh, every year. Right. So controlled uh, borders, um, compassionate uh, immigration policy. And, you know, one other thing before we wrap oh, up. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh, go for it. Sorry, Alex. Uh, the third C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Which is consistency. Sorry about that. Consistency between our immigration rules and our immigration laws. And I know it sounds like common sense to say that, but it's really not. And this is the, the reason behind my book mm. is we have rules that are not consistent with our laws. So that is another C that I think is extremely important. So again, controlled borders, consistency between our rules and our laws, and compassionate immigration policy. Uh, George, when you throw up like a video of Obama or Biden advocating for borders, you kind of get, uh, you know, backlash from it. But why? Why can't the left understand that, yes, they wanted borders too? And to that point, why can't the right understand that either? You're talking about open borders? Well, because both of them, Biden and Obama, are on tape saying we need a wall, we need a fence down in at the border. And yet ah. no one, no yeah, one seemed yeah. to understand why they were doing that or gave you uh, you know, lashed out at you if you pointed that out to them. Alex, if you go to any embassy, any American embassy in the world, uh, or at least the embassies that I visited, which are many, there are walls around embassies. Mm -hmm. um, now, what does that wall look like? Is it a concrete barrier that's, you know, that's, that's, that's around the United States? I don't know. But there, does, there definitely needs to be controlled, um, uh, controlled borders. And the Obama administration was talking about this, the Bush administration was talking about this, the Clinton administration was talking about this, and certainly Trump administration, obviously, is talking about this. It doesn't, just because you want to have controlled borders does not mean you don't want to welcome people into the country. Right. Just and because I have a door to my apartment doesn't mean I don't want to welcome people into my home. And, and no matter how you say it, and no matter how many times Trump tries to clarify it, no one will listen to him, it feels like. Well, again, you know, his, the message, um, he, his message is really, again, I get it. You know, people are, are based on what his rhetoric during the campaign, um, they find him as, they don't see him as the messenger. Mm -hmm. He might be giving the right message, but they don't see him as the right messenger.
George, what, circling back to the pandemic now, not only are there DACA recipients on the front lines, but also people are still being cared for no matter the status. So that's a huge thing to me because taking care of everybody, even the undocumented during this time might save lives. Alex, it's who we are. It's as simple as that. It's who we are as Americans. Mm -hmm. You know, when somebody is in need, Americans are among the first to run out and help. And I'm not just talking about in need inside our country, outside the country. Mm. So it's just who we are. Somebody is, is in need of help. We do the right thing. And have you heard of something where they didn't want to go to the hospital because they were worried they'd be found out during this time? I read about that. I, I've been reading about that in the, in the newspaper. Um, and, you know, I would imagine that there are cases like that. I would, I would, I would believe that there are cases like that. But nonetheless, the folks are going to the hospital saying that, you know, we need treatment. Um, we need to be tested, et cetera. They're not being turned away. Where can people mm -hmm. find you, George? Uh, on my website, George, my last name, F-A-R-A-G, so georgefarag.com or proamericanimmigration.com, either one of them. Very cool. George, thanks again. Well, you know, we can't let the day go by without a daily check-in with Radio Hope, Mike Myers, and every day, every day, Mike Myers, Radio Hope, I learned something new about you. I learned that you have a bunch of golf clubs and you love to golf. See, I, I don't know, I guess it's a... Friendship continues and actual sports comes back. We'll see how much sports you actually love. <laughs> well, um, I used to love to golf. What happened? I get excited about things, and then I get unexcited, and then I used to golf. And uh, where were what were the links that you would do? Anything in Boone, or was it out in a different part of Iowa? Um, typically, uh, let's see, where would I normally play? In fact, I, I have a uh, certificate. It's about six years old that I could use at a, a golf course here in, in the, our neck of the woods called Honey Creek. But um, I, I don't want to lose my balls. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm glad that you got that experience. And I, I just loved it. I love seeing sports back yesterday. And then, of course, Michael Jordan's final doc, final thing feels like a bookend to this quarantine you know what i mean because that series got us through to this point and now we can kind of move on with our lives well and i didn't know that there was any golf on yesterday until i got your message and uh uh it was it was kind of it was neat to watch it i guess i was a little surprised at the Oh, everybody's, you know, what do they say? Uh, something about opinions, like something else. Everybody has one. And it was uh, about a $3 million charity cause. I mean, yeah, it, it was amazing. And Rory McIlroy, and I have my, I've had my issues with him in the past. I think he's sometimes a hothead, but he did this. He and Dustin Johnson partnered and won, um, which was pretty cool. So golf was back and they're going to do a couple more tournaments. And, um, you know, and then President Trump makes an appearance and he said, transition, we are transitioning to greatness. So, Michael, it's happening. We are getting back to normal. I feel it. I, I do, too. It's just been really uh, interesting how things are coming about. 
I mean, it's this has just caused. Well, this it, it's not the COVID that's caused the division. I mean, it's just something that's fueling the the division that we have in this country. And I hate, I hate seeing it. I don't like using the word hate, but I hate seeing this country so divided. It just, it makes me angry and sad at the same time. So, uh, no, and it is, and because here's the problem, there's still people that don't want us to be open, and I'm really ticked about those people. Yeah, and if it's a true, um, you know, something I'm going to talk about this morning, gosh, what's the name of my... I think it's been there, done that is the name of today's show. If you're somebody who have, uh, you've experienced tough stuff, look at you. I looked at your video changing shirts. Callie, you're a trooper. I mean, you just, you, you don't let crap get in your way. You just keep going, pushing forward. I just and thought, I, how satisfying would that look to just do that little montage? So thank you for loving that. That was awesome. Well, and it's uh, it, it was a very to me, it was a very revealing side of you, which was you're golfing. That oh, was that, a very revealing picture. I went and showed that to my wife. I oh, mean, that one was great. I thought you meant the video was revealing to people. So, was, so was that? I mean, you're doing a. You're, you, it reminds me of a song. Don't you be doing that church hop. Don't you be doing. I mean, it's, you just don't let anything, it appears anyway, anything to get in your way. I try not to, because as I told you before, I'm not raised to let anything get in my way. And by the way, that video took about a few takes because I got so frustrated trying to get the shirts <laughs> on, but it worked. We got it to work. <laughs> And uh, anybody that wants to find it can find it on my Instagram, Alex G in NYC. So Mike, been there, done that, 9 a.m. Eastern. Um, should be a great show as normal with Mike Myers. How was Miles yesterday? I know that you always say he's a who. Oh, yeah, Miles. Yeah, yeah. He. Uh, I said I was a little concerned that his, his sermon was going to include me because it was about manners that matter. And he said, oh, you're such an egotist, aren't you? You think it's all about you, don't you? You buck eat it. <laughs> uh, great comeback. Oh, he but, is. Uh, uh, he keeps you. You know, it's like a chain of command here. You keep me it, in check, and then he keeps you in check. So. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So yeah, today is the 18th of uh, May, which marks the 41st year of my uh, trip to the uh, psych ward and to drug rehab. So I'm pretty excited about it. I think I'll be calling my mommy. We'll have a little conversation and um about and like we said yesterday we're still here right <laughs> we're still, still here. here and i'm actually leading off my show with a 15 minute sermonette by one of my favorite teachers and it's amazing how it tied into what's going on today with people that you know unless you've walked a mile in my shoes Look, I'm, I don't want to get counseled by somebody who has no clue what it is that I might be going through. Does that make sense to you? It, oh, my gosh, it really does. But, yeah. Mike, you know, we're, we're, we're running short because I know you got to okay. run over to your pod. Yes. We'll yes. talk to you soon. Love you, brother. Okay. Yep, bye. Talk to you tomorrow. I'm Alex Garrett. We'll do it again tomorrow.